Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to Motivation Monday. Relationship Lounge presents Reveal and Heal. You know, you can't heal what you don't reveal. I'm Coach Deb. I want to welcome you. I have an amazing guest today that's going to share her story of um, overcoming and surviving and thriving. You know, a story that most of us can relate to because if it had not been for the Lord on our side, we can all say we don't know where we would be today. The topic, of course, is if God doesn't do anything else, he's done enough. I want you to go ahead and tag your friends. Go ahead and tag your uh, family members. Go ahead and tag some people that you know need motivation this morning. You know need, you know, an encouraging word to get them through the week. Well, now listen here, Miss High. <laughs> Shaw is how you pronounce Hi. that beautiful name. Am I right about it? Yes, ma'am. Shaw, like shout, just take the tea off. How about that? I welcome you this morning to Reveal and Heal. I'm so happy that you're with us. And you know, there are a lot of people that's gonna be inspired by your story. And I want you to just take your time and let God use you this morning. First of all, tell us a little bit about you, okay? Okay. Um, you had asked me about my name, where my, where my name come from, what it means or whatever. Um, and I love telling the story, so I'm, that's why I'm, I didn't let it go. <laughs> I want to tell you. Um, when I was younger, I actually hated my name. Um, I was made fun of in primary school, in middle school, high school. Um, in primary school, one of my sister's teachers actually told the entire class that my name meant hot cabbage. Um, so that stuck with me forever. Um, people would call me Shao the Cow because I was overweight. Um, people would uh, call me Puppy Chow, would call me Hot ca Cabbage, would be just ruthless with my name. So I, I grew to hate my name, right? So go through high school, graduate, and I'm working at Walmart and I'm, uh, I'm checking out this lady that does my nails next door at the nail salon. And she saw my name. And she asked me, she said, are you Vietnamese? I said, no, ma'am. Why would you ask me if I'm Vietnamese? She said, because your name is Vietnamese. I said, what? You're kidding me. She said, no, it's a very, very popular name. In Vietnam, she said, um, it means hidden treasure. I said, what? Hold on just a minute. Let me go. <laughs> Let me go and check this out. So I looked it up and sure enough, my name is Vietnamese for hidden treasure or diamonds and pearls. Catch this. My middle name is Marie, which means um, a sea of bitterness. So you put my name together and it's a literal depiction of my story. Xiao Marie is a hidden treasure or diamonds and pearls found in a sea of bitterness. Tell me that's not powerful, right? God uh. knew exactly what he was doing when he gave my mom that name to give me um, she thought initially that it meant baby that's what she called me but god called me a hidden treasure yeah. he's, so, ooh, he's so good yeah. <laughs> um, oh. but i'm 31 i have three children i've been married for 11 years in july um i've known my husband since 
My mom said I was 11, but I think I was 10. It's somewhere around that age bracket. But um, I've known him for over half of my life. Um, and I've loved him for a third of it. <laughs> um, and we have grown tremendously in the past 11 years. I got with him when I was 19 years old. Um, I, like I said, been through physical abuse, sexual abuse, mental abuse, neglect, um, religious control. Um, I had I had been through the whole nine yards, and I had even got to the point where I was just done. At 19 years old, I was done. I would take any type of pill. I would take any. I would smoke any kind of weed. I never did any crack or heroin. I'd never do it. <laughs> I was never brave enough to do anything like that. But um, I would do everything else. Um, and I just got to the point to where I just ran away from everything that I knew. You know, my my sister, she moved to South Dakota. I didn't have to move away because I moved away up here. You know what I'm saying? At 19 years old, I had blocked off so many things. I, I, I couldn't remember. Shoot, I'm 31. And there's days that there's memories that come up that I just now remember because I had pushed them back so hard, so long. And it's crazy because that's what trauma does to you. You know what I'm saying? So at 19 years old, when I met Brandon, um, I was so, I was so thirsty and so hungry for love. And my God, when you talk about, I saw him with his mama and I have never in my life, I, that is absolutely the thing that turned me on the most about that man, because out of all the things that my mama had done now, <laughs> we can go through list or whatever. One thing that my mama taught me was when a man treats his mama good, that means that he'll treat you good too. She said, if he don't treat his mama good, then he's not going to treat you good and you need to be about your way. So out of all of everything that we've ever been through, me and Brandon, that thought always lays in the back of my mind I always remember how he loves his mama and I think to myself <laughs> if he does it for her you know what I'm saying if I ever have an issue with feeling like he's lacking in this area or lacking this area I know that it's there because I see him loving his mama do you feel what I'm saying yes, um, and so I saw that when I when I got with Brandon at 19 I saw that God that beautiful love and reverence and respect the order the systems that were just in the home just it, oh my God, I loved it so much. I automatically just drew to that. Um, that's where I grew. That's <laughs> I got with Brandon and that's where I just started growing. Like I did not want to leave his side. Mama uh, truly taught me how to cook everything I know how to cook. Um, not because I, I forced her. I, I would literally stand beside the stove and watch every little thing that she was doing because I wanted to know I never had another figure like that so I felt so blessed to have I call her my Naomi <laughs> um, because I mean she if anything god forbid ever happened to my husband I know where I'm going you know what I'm saying I, I Naomi in a roof all day that's my mama um when I, I, I don't know, like that was, that was our beginning. That's where we started. And that's what has led absolutely to today. Um, yeah. Well, that, <laughs> yeah. You know, I can see that being definitely the story, you know, of uh, Ruth and Naomi. And I know Trudy, she is some kind of woman. She is a beautiful spirit, 
So I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that you're so blessed to be a part of such a great family. Uh, indeed. Yeah. I want us to go I back. Amen. I want us to go back um, and talk about the earlier years. Uh, you mm -hmm. talked about the traumatizing uh, moments where it's like you forcibly are the memories are just suppressed. I say the Lord, he protects us and, you know, hide away that stuff until we're strong enough for it to be revealed because we must come to the knowledge and the truth of our whole self. And I believe that those traumatizing moments, those terrible things that took place in our life is a part of who we are. And when it comes to the healing, the full healing and wholeness of who we are and become, it has everything to, everything to do with all of that stuff coming to a head. Are you in a good place today? I am. I'm tired. I'm really sleepy. I've been up since 5 a.m. Oh, I dropped my blue. I am in a good place, though. Um, there's, there's a certain level of peace that comes with process, with allowing process. Um, like I said, I have had memories to, to be triggered and to come up now at 31 years old that are hard to deal with, but... Let me take that back. That are challenging to deal with. Yeah. But come with a sense of ease because of the peace that has come with the process. Mm -hmm. At first, the 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 memories. I was high. I had to get high. I had to get drunk. I had to get something. I had to get absolutely and totally away from the. Oh my God. There were certain. Um, there were certain moments that my, my mother hit us that I forgot about. And at 20, 21, 22, certain family members that witnessed witness certain things would say things that would make me remember. I would go off the deep end. I would go off the absolute deep end for um, weeks at a time. I would go off the deep end. There was one time Ooh, and this is challenging for me to actually say out loud because it's embarrassing. Um, there was one time that I was processing so hard through the rape and through the physical abuse that I had gotten so drunk. I was so drunk. I was about 21, 22 years old. I couldn't feel my face. I couldn't, I couldn't hear, I couldn't, I mean, like, the only thing that was going through my mind is absolute doom. I'm going to die. I want to die. I don't want to be here. Like, anything that's bad is going to happen because it's already happened and I'm done. I had lost my mind. No, I was 25. I remember I was 25. So that was six years ago. Um, I think that was actually the really big moment that I started really understanding that I was needing to heal because that night I ended up running through the woods um, that was in front of my home tearing up my legs my face chest and everything because I ran straight through um, briar bushes and I remember my friend I don't know how I don't know how they called the ambulance I don't even know how they knew I don't even know how they knew that I was going crazy I don't um, because Brandon and the kids were inside asleep, 
I couldn't get Brandon to wake. I was screaming Brandon's name, like blood curling, screaming Brandon's name because I was freaking out. Like I didn't know what to do. I just felt lost. I felt just out of control. I just, just crazy. I felt crazy. My friend Robin called the the ambulance and they're, I'm, I'm trying my hardest to get out from them. They, they're handling me really roughly. Like I was some kind of criminal. Like I wasn't even doing nothing wrong. I was on my property. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't bothering anybody. I didn't see the, the issue with me crying and having a whole fit in the middle of the woods. You know what I'm saying? Like I didn't want to be in the ambulance. So I'm laying in the ambulance screaming at the top of my lungs, Brandon, Brandon, Brandon. And I look up and that's all I remember is seeing Pastor Holly at the end of the ambulance. Oh, when I tell you that dude, that man has been a dad to me. Wow, wow. Like wow. people think that I just like, people think that I just like, um, I love Pastor Holly because he's been a very good dad to me in a place that, <laughs> it's crazy, man. He's He's been there in those times that nobody else was there. You know what I'm saying? Like where a dad should be. And I looked up in the ambulance and I saw Pastor Holly, and I was like, you know what, I'm okay. But at that point, it didn't matter anymore because they stuck me with two shots in my legs. Um, <laughs> and I don't. The next thing I remember is waking up in my living room with Pastor Holly and Brandon sitting on the couch. Um, it was that was the moment where I was just like, wow, I really, really, really need help. <laughs> I really need. And because Pastor Holly was there that night, like, I don't know, I think psychologically that just like helped me trust him even more. So I was like more open to be like, Pastor Holly, can you help me? You know, you saw me in my most crazy moment. Can you counsel me through this? Like, I don't trust anybody. Um, I don't want to just throw my story out there and be the victim all the time. Like, I am a victim to all these things, but I don't want to live this lifestyle anymore. Can you help me? Um, And that was like, that was the real moment for me. Like I just, it just clicked that I, I need help. I need help. Yeah. Wow. wow. <laughs> I didn't wow. mean to get emotional. <laughs> oh, it's, listen, uh, this is revealing heal. And you know, through our stories, other people are healed because you know, they need to get where you are. You know what I'm saying? They need to get where you are that you're able to talk oh. about. Yeah, I I get what you're saying, yeah. Absolutely. And you know what? The thing about it is, Precious, is that, you know, we are able to really see the need for God in our lives. See, these breaking points that have to happen really and truly reveals how we desperately need God in our lives. Mm -hmm. And and, and God in your life has made the difference. And we're going to get there. So I want you to continue uh, to share. Your, your process of healing. Okay. Um, so that was, that was, told you pretty much, not pretty much, there's so much to go on. Um, let me just rewind. Can I rewind? Can I go? Have you said, Can I go to the Have start? Okay. Um, so I knew, I knew in my childhood, first off, that God was real. There was, I never had to go to a church to know that God existed, if that makes sense. Like it, there was at first no title for him other than God. Like there was no idea of religion or anything like that. So I knew that anywhere I was, that God was there. Um, one of the first memories I have is 
walking down our driveway at four years old, five years old, um, pitch black, dark. My mom made us walk down a quarter of a mile long hill driveway to go to the bus stop. It was just me and my sister. My sister's two years older than me, so she would have been six or seven years old. Um, so we're walking down to the bus stop, and mind you, at this time, we've not been in church. My mom was a bar hopper, was karaoke all the time, like killing it. My stepdad was a bass player and killing the karaoke, like they was living that whole lifestyle at the time. But still, yet and still, we knew God existed. Um, we was walking down the driveway, and we were scared to death because it was so dark, daylight, daylight savings. Um, and both of our flashlights went out at the same time. Like, it didn't make any sense. Both of us were terrified because we're surrounded by woods. Like, when I tell you my mom lived out in the middle of nowhere, there was nothing but woods surrounding us, literally living on 40 acres of land, okay? Creepy. <laughs> it's so creepy. Just waiting for a coyote to come somewhere. Anyway, so we're sitting there. And I know in our if if somebody looking the, the way I'm about to explain the way we said it it kind of sounds like a, we just had like this magic show or whatever but it was incredible incredible faith it had nothing to do with the magic show or anything like that um, but we looked at each other and I said I bet if we ask God if we ask Jesus it'll work and I said on the count of three and so I said one two three and we said in the name of Jesus work and we threw our flashlights like this like we just did this both of them came on now of course I'm sure somebody would say there's some scientific explanation or there's some type of something my four-year-old mind wasn't caring about no scientific explanation I wasn't caring about nothing I just knew that when we both stood there in agreement and said in the name of Jesus work we knew that these flashlights were about to give us light to get down to the bottom of this driveway and be safe I knew we was going to be okay you know what I'm saying so from the core from the start I knew that God existed I knew that he was around because he always proved himself to me like I just knew that he was there even in the the grass and in the sky I today will ride down the street and just look out the window in adoration at the at the at the, at the way the the clouds are painted in the sky or the way the trees are painted to look or growing to look like my lungs you know what I'm saying if you look at a tree and you compare them to the the bronchial tubes in my lungs they look almost exactly the same and it's so crazy to see my body on the outside of my body like it's so it's fascinating to me and I've always been that way right but I've also seen a lot of trauma because my very first memory at four years old was a family member asking me to perform oral sex on him. He told me it was his thumb, told my sister it was the same thing. He did get um, corrected that day, that moment. Um, he was caught red-handed in the moment. But from four years old, the enemy had been trying to stop me in that way. Um, till I was about 12 years old, that same perpetrator touched me, made me touch him, made me do things to him my entire adolescent life. Okay. Not only that, but I was blamed for a lot of things and my mother had a heavy hand. She had a heavy hand because her mother had a heavy hand. Um, but mind you, my mother grew a lot more than what my grandmother was. My grandmother was absolutely ruthless. Um, my mother had a lot more sugar on her bite. 
um, but it was still there. I give her grace where grace is due. Um, I understand that she didn't have the resources, she didn't have the people, she didn't have the support system, she didn't have the things that she needed to be the person that she needed to be in that time. But today, my mom is doing so much better and she is absolutely a different person. Um, back then though, it was hard. Um, I was receiving, she worked all the time too. If, if she wasn't working by six or seven, I say of my age, we were in church. Um, and if we, she wasn't working when she was at the church, um, so we was left at home with the perpetrator. Um, and let me get this out of the air too. My dad was not there. So let me get any idea that the perpetrator was my father because my father is not okay. Um, but we were left there with him and it happened every day. It happened all the time. Um, and then he would do stuff and we would get blamed for it because he wouldn't get blamed for it. <laughs> it was just totally crazy, totally whack. We'd get beat, beat for, I'd get beat for a lot of the things that he'd do um, because he would put it on me. And because his word was over mine, I would get the, the blunt of the punishment. So that happened a lot um, in my childhood. And then, now mind you, he did get a blunt of um he he got he he got touched up a few times too, so don't get it twisted. Um, but that happened childhood. Never fit in at school. Never to this day. I, I don't even think if I stood in class or in a room full of everybody that I went to school with that I would fit in. I never fit in. I'll never fit in. That's okay. God created me to be me. Um, but never fit in at school, never fit in at church, never fit in at home, was always the oddball everywhere. At 17 years old, I met this boy named Brian. I don't know if I can say his name. I hope I can. Um, but I met this man, man named Brian. Uh, we both went to school together and ended up losing my virginity to him. Mind you, I was not the smartest 17 year old in the world. I lost my virginity in my home. Now, my whole childhood going through what I went through with my mom, you'd think I was a little bit wiser in my decision to do it somewhere else, but I didn't. I, 17 years old, them hormones are going crazy. You're trying to people please. I finally had that one person in my life that just gave me that attention. I was so excited. I was like, yes. And then he wanted to touch me. He wanted to, he wanted, he wanted me. You know what I'm saying? I was 190 pounds at 5'2". I was a big girl. I was shunned by everybody. I didn't fit in nowhere. So he wanted to give me attention. Okay, boy, well, let me tell you this. Let me flex with it too. My stepdad had a whole sound system girl in the living room. So while I'm having sex with this man beforehand, I turned the sound system on blasting so I can't hear nothing nothing i was not smart i didn't use my head for nothing <laughs> Jeffrey, i'm telling you like my little sister walked in opened up the curtains she said daddy somebody's here girl when i tell y'all this i felt so dumb my mom absolutely i was in the corner like this just waiting for her to get finished <laughs> like i I was so dumb. I don't know why I did that, but I left there at 17 years old. Um, the next day he told me, I came to school and I had bruises around my neck from where I had curled up in a ball. And my stepdad had created, had made a, a strap, a leather strap whip 
okay? It was about this long. I don't know if you can see what I'm doing, but it's about this long and it was about this wide, something about that and it was about this thick and it was on the end of a wooden handle. Um, I think that's what she used that night. That's what it felt like. It may have just been a regular belt. I don't know because I really, all I saw was the leather. Um, but I had marks around my neck. So all day long, I had tied my hoodie around my face so nobody could see anything. Yeah. Um, and I had I had bruises on my hand too, but I was able to put my hoodie down enough. And Brian had saw me in my last class, which was our band class. Um, and he was like, why are you covered up like that? I was like, just leave it. Like, do you not understand what happened yesterday? Why are you asking me what happened? Well, you know, get him well, what happened? Like, you don't have to play stupid. Mind you too, that night I was, they was afraid I was going to commit suicide. So they took, stripped everything out of my room. My mother's pastor at the time came and sat in the bathroom with me while I was in the bathtub, butt naked. And she sat on the toilet and literally just sat there. I don't know for what, I don't know, but waited until I got out of the bathtub to get out of the bathroom with me and then followed me into my room and then proceed to take all the pictures, tax, fingernail polish, um, perfume, because I was huffing at the time as well. Um, they took everything but my clothes, everything. I didn't have anything, nothing. So I told them, I was like, why would you ask me what went on when you were literally you were doing it with me like you know what's up and he pulled my um hoodie tie loose and he pulled my hoodie back and he saw the mark on my neck and he said you're not going back there I'm not taking you back to that house he said the only way I will take you back to that house is if you're going to get clothes okay but the thing is I only had one outfit because everything else didn't fit me nothing fit me. I had a pair of blue jeans and a t-shirt that I was wearing constantly. I was literally washing it and drying it, washing it and drying it. Like there were, I would wear it two or three days at a time and then wash it because that's all I had to wear. And so I went to get a couple of things. I think I got a couple of t-shirts, maybe, I don't know. Um, but just a couple of things. And he took me to my dad's house. By this time with my dad, I was 17 years old. You know, my dad, like, he was there every other weekend, and he would get uh, rain over me on the summer, but most times, I went to Mississippi during the summer, you know what I'm saying? I wasn't even, I wasn't even around him. All he did was work, and when he came home, he sat in front of the TV, and m most of the situations <laughs> happened at his house, too, with his stepson. His stepson did things to me, and <laughs> it was it, it, a big mess or whatever. So I got there at my dad's house at 17 years old. By this time, I was, I was done, Miss Deborah. I was done. I was, I was done trying to fight for um, the validation. I was done trying to fight for my identity. Um, I just smoked a lot. <laughs> I just smoked a lot of weed. Um, it. I, I took pills. I would, I would drink. I, I rem remember I had two dudes um one was an older guy and one was a younger guy um the older guy all I had to do was spend time with him and he would give me anything I wanted 
I didn't have to do anything to him. Nothing. Like all I had to do was sit in a room with him for six hours and smoke weed with him. And he would send me about my way with whatever I wanted, whether it was money, weed, pills. It did not matter. He gave it to me and all he wanted was my time. That's it. I love that man to this day just because of how he respected me in that time of my life. Because that man could have taken advantage of me, but he did not. He did not. Um, but the other dude, I did sleep with him. I did have those moments of feeling like it wasn't just for the drugs and it wasn't just for the the high. The high was also having sex with the man because I felt validated. I felt wanted. I felt needed in those moments. Like... I don't think people understand whenever women are fast or women are hoes or whatever you want to call them, it has nothing to do, do with them being nasty. It has everything to do with them screaming for help, screaming yeah. for somebody. Will you please see me? Will you please understand that I've not had a consistent father figure, that I've not had a consistent man in my life to show me what love is? That's all these women are screaming, but yet we, we are so harsh to them. We think that they're just nasty because they are doing No. And then you want to be like this towards the, the drug addict too, but the drug addict is literally trying to escape from a life that they've never been to be able to escape from. Like, let me calm down. 17 years old, moved in with my dad. That's what I got to. 18 years old, found out that, found out about racism. Found out how I had been conditioned in racism. Very surface level how I had been, because I wasn't even in that type of area in my life to self-evaluate at that time, but it was very blatant what happened. I had gotten with a young man named Cambrell. Now, he's already given me permission to share our part of his part in my story, um, because he's actually in my book, <laughs> because he really was a stippler moment in my process. I had never been with a Black man. I had never considered being with a black man, not because I hated black people, not because I, because I had been taught that white is white, black is black. They don't mix. <laughs> like, you're not, my family's from Southern Mississippi. My daddy was born and raised. I don't know if you can hear it in the roots of my vocal cords. I'm telling you, <clears throat> straight Southern heritage. Um, I just found out just a couple of months ago that I got people in Mississippi that's been in the Klan. I didn't know that. Like, that totally shocked me. Like, but that's the type of people that I come from. So it was never something that I was supposed to do. Cambrell, though, girl, he was a breath of fresh air. I walked mm. into that school. He walked past me one day. He had dreads, the most beautiful dreads I had ever seen in my life. They, he smelled so good. He smelled like a whole cocoa bean. I'm telling you, like, he just smelled like, to this day, <laughs> like, I'm just like, thinking about the way he smelled. Um, I remember walking into his house and seeing the African pictures. Oh, my God. I'd never seen artwork like that. I'd never smelled a home like this. I'd never seen the cleanliness of this home, the order of this home. The the pillows match the, the pictures on the wall. You know what I'm saying? Like, what? This is a whole different culture. Like I was, it was a culture shock for me. 
and it was beautiful. Like it was not anything that I was taught that black was. I was taught that black was scary. I was taught that black was poor. I was taught that black was nasty. I was taught that you you know what I'm saying? And it wasn't outright things that people just said this and that and that. No, it was things that were just assumed. Does that make sense? I'm, I was conditioned to believe that these things about black people were t- t- true. So I got with Kimbro, and it's so funny. I was so bold. I've always been so bold. I just love myself for that. I love my boldness, um, especially in times like this. Sometimes it does get me in trouble, though. I got to calm down with it. <laughs> I got I to practice my two-second pause and think about things. But my boldness in this taught me um, how deep the racism really was. I had a chorus concert that I invited my dad and Cambrell to. I thought I was being slick. I thought I was doing a good thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, we ain't even got to go to the house or nothing. You can meet them at the school, and there's going to be people around, too. So <laughs> watch it, Dad. <laughs> that's all that's going through my mind. Um, so I introduced them, and my dad, girl, red all the way up to here, ears red, neck red, you can see his blood pressure. Like he is, his, his temples are throbbing. You can see his veins going. Like you literally saw the anger just on top of him in the school. Grabs me by my wrist, tells me that his daughter won't be with the N-word. I was like, me and my baby sister didn't say anything on the entire ride home. We didn't say nothing. He stopped by McDonald's and got us something to eat. We didn't even tell him what we wanted to eat, Miss Deborah. Like we wouldn't, I didn't even know how to feel. Like that was, I was so scared at his calmness because that, I was just scared. I was terrified. So we get home. He blew up. He went crazy. Miss Deborah, this was the closest. My dad, my dad whooped me two times in my childhood. Two times, that's it. This was the closest that he got before he did it a couple of years later. The closest he got to hitting me in my face. I literally was standing at my doorway and I told him, I love him, dad. I love him. He took his fist and I literally felt his hand pass my face and he punched a hole in the wall. You know what I did? He was standing in front of my door. I closed that door. I locked it. He's steadily punching on the door. He's punching holes in the front of the door like he's pissed. I was getting a suitcase together, but I was terrified. I was going to climb out of the window, but I was terrified to do that because I was on the second floor. So I just stood there and I was like, okay, God, what do I do? He told me to just stand there. So that's what I did. I just stood there and my dad went away. When my dad went away, I opened the door and I ran. I ran as fast as I could. I could not, I ran, I ran and I ran and I ran and I ran and I ran. I suppose my, my dad had called my mom. My mom had called the law. Um, my godmother's son actually came up to, was the police officer to um, evaluate the situation. He came up and he asked me, you know, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And I told him the situation. He told me I was wrong. He told me I needed to go back to my dad's house and let my dad protect me. And I was like, you're a fool. You got me twisted. I am not going back to that house. No way. 
next day, not the little boy <laughs> at the time. I call him little boy. He was he was a boy at the time and made boy decisions at the time. Um, he had ended up cheating on me. So all that issues and all those things that I went through with my dad, it wasn't it, it, it wasn't for no good because I didn't need to be in that situation. I didn't need to be I didn't need to be taught more hate. You know what I'm saying? I didn't need to be conditioned more. Um but in the time I just didn't go back because he scared the hell out of me. I'm just being honest. Like that just scared the hell out of me at that 17, 18 years old. You're a two hundred and fifty pound man at six five and I'm I'm five two. You know what I'm saying? Like this is totally inappropriate behavior. Um so I didn't go back. I went and lived with my girlfriend until I had um graduated high school. And when I graduated high school, that's when I met Brandon. Um actually when I graduated high school, I spent that entire summer um losing weight. I graduated high school at two hundred and thirty pounds at five two. I was five two at two hundred and thirty pounds. Solid two. I would I was able to squat my own body weight. I could squat two hundred and thirty pounds easy. Um and then I could bench 190. I was a beast, girl. Mm-hmm. I'm t- an 18 wide pants, girl. I was solid, solid. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to go to the army. So I needed to lose all of that weight. So from the time that I had graduated high school to December, so that's August, September, October, November, December, four months. Think about this timeline, okay? Four months, it took me to go from 230 to 140 pounds. I was in the gym every single day, eight hours a day, eating nothing but chicken, eggs, and tuna. That's all I ate for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I didn't eat anything else. I had no sodas, no coffee, no sugar, no nothing but water. That's all I had. Absolutely disciplined. My regimen in the the um, in the gym was... I'd sit an hour in the sauna at the beginning of my workout. Then I'd do uh, four hours of cardio, which would be the elliptical, the treadmill, the um, the stairs, or whatever else that was there that I was doing. It's been so long ago. But um, then I would take a break and repeat the entire process every single day for four months. I lost all the weight, too. And it's funny because in that time, I was going to see my mother-in-law in the she wasn't even my mother-in-law at the time, Miss Deborah. It's the funniest. God is so funny. He's so funny. I was literally going to Harbin Clinic because I knew that Trudy Hammond worked up at Harbin Clinic, and I did not want to be embarrassed about my weight. I did not want somebody judging me. I didn't want somebody giving me a harsh word, and I knew Trudy was going to take care of me. You can ask her today. This I'm telling the absolute truth. When I was 19 years old, I went up there to the Harvard Clinic, and she weighed me in every single week, and she was there through that entire process, and I have my mother-in-law to this day to tell anybody that wants to say that I did it the wrong way. Now, she can vouch for me. She's right there. She was walking me through the entire process. Um, December of 2009, I was 19 years old. I was ready to go into the army. Um, January comes along, January 17th. I remember my mama had just got abused by the man that she was with. He had dragged her from one side of the hotel to the other side of the hotel by the the root of her hair. My mama's a, a pretty hefty woman now. I mean, she ain't fat. She's thick, though. My mama's got them hips. <laughs> like, I didn't get this from nowhere. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, 
She's a big woman. <laughs> She's got them big old hips. But he got her. He was a bigger dude. And he took her by her hair and drug her across the thing. And my mama asked me if I wanted to go down to the bar with her and get a drink. I was only 19. <sighs> yeah. My mama asked me if I want to drink alcohol with her. Hey, yeah, I'm about to go drink with you. Let's go, woman. Let's go on and get, get rid of our troubles. Because I had just got cheated on. <laughs> like, the dude that... um I had dropped Cambro by that time and I'd went to a white dude. Oh my God. I hated him. I hated him. He cheated on me and I was done with him too. Like, so me and mom were both just bitter and absolutely being crazy that night. So we go to the bar. I walk in the first person I see Brandon Lee. Hi, <laughs> my dude. I saw him and I was like, wow, that's really him. I like he just fell off the face of the earth and now he's here. Hey. <laughs> and that's where all of it started. Um and now I'm now I'm here. And you know, we've been through we've been through a really hefty process over the past eleven years. Um and a lot of it has to do with how we did not heal before we got together. Mm-hmm. Um we were both told you need to do premarital counseling. You need to sit down and you really need to start like understanding each other. Don't just rush into marriage. Take your time. You're still a baby. Da, da, da. But these were coming from the people that hurt me my entire life. Why would I listen to you? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But at 31, after going through everything that we've been through, a lot of heartache pre- it would have been um, prevented if we had taken the time to um do the premarital counseling because it's very important for us to weigh ourselves not against our idea of self but against God's idea of ourselves. Um, A lot of times women that have been through the same issues that I've been through um, when it comes to a man they'll absolutely and totally do everything contrary to who they are so they can get the validation and the approval of men it's so crazy that we go externally we look externally so hard and we get depressed and we fight and we push and we try everything on the outside to fill this void that can be filled by just taking a moment 20 minutes when you wake up in the morning 20 minutes after 20 minutes when the kids go away 20 minutes whenever you're going to the store 20 minutes that you set aside for you and god to build that validation because who he is is who I am. He told me that I'm created in his image. So all of these facts and everything that have been presented to me throughout my entirety, all these things, they can be weighty. They can, they can feel like they're about to crumble me. But when I look at myself in the reflection of God, knowing that he created me in his image, that means that I've got that standard to go towards. That's who I am. That's what I believe. This was supposed to stop me. These things that happened to me in my past was supposed to stop me. The enemy tried to stop me with those things. By pro- he, he tried stopping me to produce God's glory with those things. And it's so crazy, like, looking at it now, I see the bigger picture. But while I was in it, I was so stuck. That's right. While I was in it, I was so scared. While I was in it, I was so hurt. I didn't see an end. I, I, I remember I was sitting on my, my 
stepbrother's trampoline. I was probably about 23. I had just had Gabriel, I think. And, or right before Gabriel. So I was like 22. And that was right after we lost our first child. I didn't even tell you about that. Um, but that was right after we lost our first child. I had got hooked on um, that legal spice, that legal weed. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's, it may as well be mess. Um, I lost so much weight. I sold everything in my house, all of my possessions, but my guitar. Like, I'm so glad to, like, my guitar is my baby. But I was, I was strung out. And I remember laying on his, his trampoline, crying my eyes out, begging that God killed me. Mm. I begged God to kill me. I begged him. I cannot tell you how many times, first off, I've cried on that conversation. God, forgive my stupidity. Forgive my ignorance. Bless my life. Give me longevity. <laughs> like, curse those words that came out of my mouth. Mouth, like, that is not my truth. That's not what I want. That was the sickness. Kill the sickness, not the person. God. <laughs> like, I've, just, I've had to go through it. But I'm also taking a giggle moment from it, too, because it's, it's so funny that we get into these places where we feel like we can't see an end, that we, we're just so despaired. We just get to where we feel like, oh, my God, it's just the end. God, just kill me and let it be over with. Like, we're so selfish. We're so self-centered. Like, it, it's so funny. But the balance is when we take our focus off of self, when we take our focus off of what we try to control, and we put our focus on God and who he is, it changes everything. And then it's not a magic show. It's a literal change of your mind. You literally have to study your word, pray. You have to be in his presence you have to this is an everyday thing and it's not something that you have to be in your kitchen talking about it ain't gotta be nothing like that it's it's i made biscuits this morning and grits and sausage standing at my my um stove i didn't make a sound i didn't make a noise nobody knew i was standing there praying nobody knew i had i was sitting there contemplating god nobody knew that i was sitting there meditating in the moment nobody knew that but i was and it takes those times for us to sit back and just reflect on God, meditate on his goodness. Remember the scripture that you wake up to read in the morning, meditate on that word all day long, apply it to your heart. If you're going to church, listen to the word and really apply those words. Don't just be going to church to try to, to get validation from man, bump that. Wait, I'm 31 years old. I might live to see 91. You think I'm about, I'm about to live the next 60 years? I'm I've already lived one third of my life. You think I'm about to live the other two thirds of my life trying to make you feel all right about me, brother? You got it twisted. I've, I've had to spend the last third of my life trying to make me okay with me. You know what I'm saying? I don't have time anymore to entertain people and their feelings. I don't have time to please people's emotions. Right. Even in ministry, standing forward and going forward, it is what it is, baby. If you don't like my style, it's cool. I'm cool with that. Like, we all got our own style of worship. We all got our own things or whatever. But the, the point of the, the, the matter is, when God is the focus, it don't matter what I look like. It don't matter what I sound like. It don't matter what I'm, it don't, me, I don't matter. I'm a vessel. You, God is what, God is what matters. Our focus needs to shift off the idea of, 
our ideas of self and our ideas of people. And the same processing that we've gone through ourselves and the same grace and things that we've been extended in our own process, we need to start really learning how to apply that for other people as well. Like, I don't understand how people can go through the things that they go through, but yet they never have that type of grace for anybody else. And they, they seem as if they've been through a process and now they're the standard. I hate, I hate people like that. Like, come on with the games. There is one standard. God is the standard, point blank, period. And if you think that you are any type of a standard, you have absolutely and totally limited God in your situation and anybody else's that comes into it. You're tripping. This is good. Yeah. This is good because yeah, I went off. I'm sorry. You're, you're doing. You're doing amazing. You're bringing the story full circle because as we begin uh, to close, I do want you to uh, speak to someone that is listening this morning because your story has been. It's a full plate, and um, it really is a beautiful story you know, that uh, from the very beginning, you uh, was on the Lord's mind and you had an ear at, at an early age. And, you know, you have survived all of these things that, of course, if the enemy had had his way, then, of course, you would have been done with a long time ago. And all the things that you have come through where you are to now, where you are now to speak in such a way when it comes to your relationship with God, it's clear that if it had not been for the Lord, you know, you would not be here today. Talk to some people that are dealing with, you know, overwhelming situations where the stories are similar, you know, and they feel like God is not hearing them or that God has left them or that they've even come to a place where there is no God because the pain uh, that they have had to endure, you know, uh, the mental anguish, all these things that they've had to experience, you know, speak to them on what, there's no formula to being healed, but to- There's not. And I- Go ahead. I don't have, I don't have a list. I don't have a, a checklist or I feel like I sound like Pastor Holly. It's funny. I can't help it. Gotta, I've been under him for 10 years, but I don't have a list because the list has never been given to me. I, 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 anytime that I went to Pastor Holly, of course, I've had the, the counseling moments and the therapy moments. Um, none of that none of that came to none of that happened until I had a desire to really know God and not know God in the aspect of what everybody seems to think God is in the church but God the truth of God you know what I'm saying not not the God that's the angry God standing on like the over the anthill killing us all with a magnifying glass, those who are doing wrong. God is not vindictive. God is love. God is so, when he looks at you, he doesn't look at you the way that you look at you. He doesn't look at you and he doesn't judge you and say, you're going to hell, you better repent. God took care of his sin problem when he put Jesus on the cross. Why are you stuck on the cross? 
Jesus raised from the dead. Jesus raised from that dead situation. Yes, the dead situation happened. Yes, they buried him up. You think Jesus felt good in that tomb? I don't think Jesus felt too good on that tomb or that cross. But he got up. He got up. And that's the power in all of our situation. When you think about somebody who has been through a whole bunch of trauma and a whole bunch of abuse, you think you can create two scenarios in your mind about them. You can think about the one person who absolutely lets the trauma create them, absolutely allows the trauma to shape them. That person usually ends up being the person that's the drug addict at 50 years old, um, the alcoholic at 50 years old who's never really made any type of um, movement forward in his purpose or his identity. He never found self because he was so wrapped up in the trauma and the pain. Or you can create the other scenario of the person who says, I've been through the pain, but the pain does not define me. How I went through the pain and how I'm healing from the pain is what defines me. There are two types of people in this world, and you have to choose for yourself whether you want to be the victim or you want to be the victor. It has to be your decision because we serve a God who is a true gentleman. He will never push the door open and kick the door open and make you come in, but yet he knocks on the door gently. He, he knocks on the door with patience, and you have to go to him with an open heart and be, be willing to really self-evaluate, not to validate your victim stance, but to validate who you are in him. Go to him with your open heart. And you know what? Don't, there have been times where I have been so ugly in my prayer. I have cussed in my prayer before. I sure enough have because I've been so angry and I've not had any words to to, to articulate on my tongue, to form on my tongue that would make sense enough to even to myself of how angry and broken and hurt and bitter I was in those moments. But I still had those moments with God where I was so raw. It didn't matter what other people would think it sounded like. I just released what was on my heart. And it's so important and valuable for us in our process to have those moments of brokenness. And it's a lot better if we go ahead and do it ourselves and not allow situations to come in and make us be broken. Because voluntary brokenness is a whole lot better to swallow it's a pill better to swallow than brokenness that comes along with situations. Situations that cause issues like that will do nothing, will bring a whole bunch of extra shame and guilt. Voluntary brokenness is where it's at. Get on your face before God. Truly understand your identity and purpose. Look, I ain't written my books yet. I have not written my books yet. I said that real country just now. Um, I've not written my books yet, but my pastor has. Pastor Holly has written plenty of books. There's one called Faith Identity. There's one called On Purpose. Um, there's one called Altered Altars. These books are phenomenal. They're literally the, the pieces that I've pulled from over the past 11 years or, or the past 10 years um, that I've pulled from. Straight biblical, nothing but scripture in the books. Like it's, it's not his ideas. It's literally the script it's the scripture um check out those books if you don't want to check out those books open up your word start your change is not going to happen until you truly have a desire for god not to appease another person but when you truly have a true desire for god that's when your situation will change stop trying to change your behaviors and start trying to change your heart behind the behavior because it doesn't matter how many behaviors you change what's going to end up happening is your heart is going to still continue being the same and you'll end up creating new things in place of the old things 
even though thinking that you've gotten over something, even though you're still practicing the, the a new behavior with the same heart. So you've got to change your heart. You have to sit down and really self-evaluate, be raw with yourself, be raw with God, be 100%, all the things that hurt. And one more thing, and I'm, I'll wrap it up. One more thing, stop trying to go to the perpetrator and trying to hurt the perpetrator. Stop trying to get back at the perpetrator. The perpetrator is dealing with enough. He knows exactly what he did. And every time you go to him and you tell him what you did and he fights back at you and tells you that you he didn't do this, he didn't do this, he didn't do this. He knows that it's adding to your wound. He knows that it's, you're not, you're not doing nothing to him. You're not bothering him. You're not hurting him. You're not doing anything. You might be causing just a little bit of guilt for a very brief moment, but as soon as you are going absolute in, they already know they have the upper hand because they have control of your emotions. Stop allowing the perpetrator to control your emotions. Be free from yourself. Be free from the perpetrator. Forgive yourself for putting yourself in those situations. Forgive the perpetrator for doing those things. Forgive the situation. It's time to move forward and you cannot go forward with bitterness and foolishness in your heart fix your heart allow the process allow god to really seep into your heart and go forward in your healing baby wow oh wow thank you for your transparency thank you mm -hmm. for allowing god to to use you you know, we talk about being used by God. And I think a lot of times we looked at the dress, we look at the dressed up piece. You know what I'm saying? The the uh, mm -hmm. the the uh, the awe and you know the the accolades and the pat on the back and all these things, but being used by God most times is the ugly that we have to reveal because what happens is people are able to see God as being the hero. You know what I'm saying? It's like God is being the healer. God is being the deliverer. So he does get the glory. Not so often when everything is, you know, people question if it's real or not. You have spoken to a lot of people this morning. You have Thank spoken you. to me and remind, reminded, reminded me as I so often, you know, look in the mirror and just thank God I'm still here. With so much that have gone on in my long life, I'm still here. I made it. You didn't win, Satan. You didn't win. Thank you so much. But you got welcome. something to add. Go ahead. I do. I got one more thing. Because this is the situation that I've been faced with. A lot of times people think that because their situation is not as bad as another person's situation, my, my, my story is pretty rough, man. Like this book I'm coming out with, like it's some folk that's probably going to be pissed off that they're in my story, but you put yourself in the story, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I mean, I can't, I can't, I'm not fabricating the story. I'm putting the story down the way the story goes, you know what I'm saying? But it, it, it's, it's rough looking at my story and some people will sit back and be like, oh my god how is she alive like how is she not in a crazy home um some people will look at it like that and some people might even look at it and be like well my story's not that bad I'll be all right stop doing that people you got to understand that just because your trauma looks different than my trauma it doesn't mean that your chemical make in your brain was not remade from that trauma it doesn't matter what type of trauma anybody 
anybody deals with, point blank, period. It does a chemical remake in your brain, point blank, period. And it automatically causes you to have triggers. It -hmm. automatically causes you to have residual behaviors. It Mm -hmm. automatically has you to act a certain way, to speak and think and, and look and direct in a certain way. Stop putting off your trauma as nothing because it doesn't look as bad as somebody else's. Heal from your womb. I don't care if you had a beautiful childhood and nothing but the man down the street was murdered and you saw him shot. Nothing but that happened. That's trauma. And that shaped and formed something inside of you to this day. If you've not addressed it, it shaped something and changed a chemical in your mind. If you've not dealt with that trauma, you need to deal with it. Point blank, period. It doesn't matter how great you think it is or how minute you think it is. Deal with the trauma. It's time for us to really reveal and heal. Um, It's so funny that that's actually the name of your podcast because a year ago, you can ask Brandon, um, I had in my prayer time, I had a moment where I heard God say, the healing in this land is not going to take place until the revealing of this land does. And I was like, that makes so much sense. Because of course, that's first off biblical, then it's us. You know what I'm saying? Like, put that in your just personal life, reveal what needs to be healed. You can't, you cannot heal a womb that's not healed or revealed point blank period so it's time to stop putting limits on your healing to stop putting limits on what happened to you stop pulling yourself down and making it seem as if this wasn't as bad or this is not as bad heal heal oh wow motivation monday our quote today is always remember that your present situation is not your final destination the best is yet to come. So we got to keep on living. We got to keep on living, keep on forgiving. Thank you so much for being uh, my guest today on Relationship Lounge Presents Reveal and Heal. Oh, wow. This is, listen, I recommend the replay, guys. Replay, replay, because so much was shared to where you're going to need to replay it so that you can go back and get some stuff because if you're like me you get lost in certain stuff that was being said and then you had to hear up and catch up you know because it's like woo 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 thank you love thank you so much ladies and gentlemen Mm -hmm. listen you can't heal unless you reveal please follow relationship lounge reveal and heal on all social media i love you all thank you so much remember to love yourself Love everybody and be an example. I'm Coach Deb. Have an amazing day. You deserve it. Thank you, baby.